Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 90. Nine zero. Unbelievable. Just saying that out loud is amazing. Episode 90 of Teaching Tales, the podcast totally devoted to sharing stories from the world of education. As always, I am your host, Brent Coley, an elementary principal in Southern California. Joining me today, a good friend and a colleague in my district, Mary Vongsavon. Mary, how are you today? Hi, Brent. Hi, everyone out there. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. We were chatting over the phone the other day about kind of what we were going to talk about. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. Uh, and it's always, it's always great when I get to talk with somebody that is that I, that I know, that I've met in person, that I'm, I'm friends with, that I actually get to see in real life. Not that we're able to do that right now because of the pandemic. We're over <laughs> Zoom right now. But anyway, people know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So for, I know who you are, but for people who are listening, give them a little background. Uh, who, is, who is Mary? Okay. So um, like you said, we are colleagues. We work in the same district. Um, right now, I am uh, an assistant principal at an elementary school. Uh, prior to that, I was a math TOSA for many years. And then prior to that, uh, I was a math teacher for many, many years. So um, that's kind of been my background. I love teaching. I love kids. Um, I have two daughters of my own, two teenagers, um, one in middle school and one in high school. Um, so it's just been a great journey. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, and you, what you have done for our district with the math talks and getting, I mean, your background in math, I remember and getting our teachers launched with, with doing math talks and having those, those conversations in their classrooms with students have been amazing. I mean, I'm seeing it with, with the teachers at my site and that is largely in part to you, Mary. So kudos, kudos to you, my friend. So all right, so today's topic, like what we want to talk about is, is equi not, not equity, but more empathy in terms of being able to empathize with what students are going through. And a little background, and I think anyone listening right now, you would understand, if you're, if you're a teacher right now, you know that more than ever before in your career, uh, you are getting a glimpse behind the curtain. Uh, you are getting a glimpse over your student's shoulder, quite literally, <laughs> with Zoom uh, instruction right now. You are getting to see uh, the living rooms, the dining rooms, the bedrooms, maybe the closets that these kids are, are, are doing their virtual instruction from. And you're getting to see what's going on in the background. And I think it's giving a lot of, giving a lot of us that glimpse into home life, what kids are going through. And Mary... Um, I have not heard your story, but I have friends who have heard you talk about your story. And I wanted you to, I, I'm so excited for you to share that because I, I think that you're going to be able to give us a glimpse kind of from a, that's what this podcast is about. It's all about stories. Everybody has a story and you've got one that I really think is going to bring to, to light uh, that the need for empathy that everyone's going through something different. And what we see isn't always what is the reality behind the scenes. So with that, I will pass the virtual mic to you and tell us your story, Mary. Well, thank you, Brent. And I think you said it perfectly when you said what you see is not always what's going on in the background. So my background, 
that most of you know me if you if you're listening and you're from Marietta and most of you know me as that math person that math tosa or admin or actually prior to that how I met you Brent was I was the tech tosa mm-hmm. we were on the technology team together so my background is um I was born in Laos in a little city called Pakse Laos and you know that was during the time of the war so my dad at the time was a general and he fought in the the war when i say the war i'm referring to the vietnam war but what, what most people don't know is that there was another war right next door to vietnam and that's in laos and so because the ho chi minh trail runs through laos i'm going to give you a little quick history lesson Please. um and that's in the ho chi minh trail is how the north vietnamese the communists would give what would send their weapons to South Vietnamese and then they would flank the troops and that's how they won the war. Mm. Well my dad, you know, obviously um was fighting against the communists and what people don't know is the CIA was there way before our troops were there. And it was all a secret and if you look it up it's called the CIA's secret war. It was a secret because the Geneva um agreement was that Laos was neutral and Americans were supposed to stay out that all the fighting was going to happen in Vietnam. So what happened was the CIA sent their um their men and and then the United States sent a lot of, you know, kind of like retired military men, marines, mercenaries and they kind of set up but they didn't do the fighting. So what they did was they contracted um the French Lao army which is, you know, our country was a French colony. um my dad was in the french law army so him and his battalions did the fighting and but it was all backed up by the americans and the cia so that's the background that's where i lived um we it was we were literally a mile away from the fighting um wow. you know bombs going off all that stuff and it's a really intense story behind the scenes and I can tell you a lot more stuff cuz I've interviewed a lot of people who fought with my dad CIA members that kind of stuff um and it's 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 kind of like a a Jason Bourne type movie you know like mm. you know there was a safe house we had to escape we had to leave overnight we had to go move every two weeks so that people couldn't find us that kind of stuff so anyways after the fighting was over we ended up in the united states um and now because there's not a lot of we were part of the cia secret war we basically had to start all over so here's my dad who's a general and we came to the united states and we didn't have anything we didn't speak english my dad was the only one who spoke english and it was broken english so both of my parents speak five languages each and but the one that they have in common is laotian and english um my parents my mom had a third grade education and my dad had an eighth grade education so we came to the united states and we were you know back then refugees so we're not well accepted so school and everything else was really tough um we were in texas and that was because our sponsors lived in texas and um and did well there you know uh, acclimated um there was a lot of prejudice and things like that but we didn't know any better better and one of the things that the kids were told because my dad was a high profile um govern government you know military person one of the things that the kids were told is that 
we weren't fleeing. We were just going to visit because if we got stopped along the way, we had to have the same stories and we had to not reveal, right? Because as kids, there were six kids. Um, we had to kind of be secret. So as kids, we thought we were just coming here on vacation. Sure. And, um, and then we never left. And then it, it you know, we went to school. It, and you can imagine we came in September 1st and we went to school the very next day because my dad believed that education was our only way out. And how old, how old were you at that time? I was six. Six. Yeah. So you're, so, you're yeah, so kindergarten, first grade. I was in first grade and I had, I had three older sisters all ranging up to high school. And then I had two little bro brothers um, and they were, you know, not ready for school yet. So uh, we didn't know English and we started school and it, it got to a point where we just kind of started asking our parents, so like, when are we going to go back? Because this is uh, seeming kind of permanent. This is a long visit. You said we were visiting. Yeah. This is a long visit. Yeah. And it was very hard getting acclimated because we didn't speak the language. But um, one of the things that I didn't know back then until now is that both my parents suffered from PTSD. Mm. But, you know, in our culture, we don't call it that. You just call it survival. You know, you don't call it grit or growth mindset. You just call it survival. So, so that's what we did. Um, and then we moved to Virginia because um, my dad got a contract to write a book about the Ho Chi Minh Trail. So um, it was through uh, Washington, D.C. So we moved to Virginia and that's when things got really tough as a, as a child and as a student because Virginia is a Southern state mm. and there's not a lot of Asian immigrant or refugee families. We lived in a little small farm town um, place. It was called Chantilly. Loved it. Um, but very farm, farm community. Right. Um, and this is, this kind of gives you perspective. My graduating class was the class was the rednecks of 87. So, um, it's a very small town and there was a lot of, there was a lot of prejudice and it was very tough, but some of the stories that I tell in my presentation that I have, um, I had a lot of good friends. There was a lot of kids, you know, who I still talk to these days who were really curious about this little Asian girl who came to our school and doesn't speak English. Um, but for my family um, on the outside, it was very tough speaking a language that no one knew. It was very tough having those names like Vong Savan. Um, so that's why all of the kids changed our names. You know, my real name is Sumsani Vong Savan. Um, and, you know, they changed our names when we first came to the United States, because that would have been very difficult sure. <laughs> with, with six kids. Um, I remember growing up in school and such as human nature, you you just remember the, the tough parts. So kids teasing you, um, bullying you, you know, singing really um, horrible songs. You know, um, I remember being followed home, my brothers and I and my sisters being teased. Uh, rocks thrown at us, being spat on, that kind of stuff. And it was tough because I kept thinking, but my dad's a general. Why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And 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 not having those conversations with my parents, right? Because they don't talk about it. And they were just trying to survive. Um, my dad had three jobs. He was uh, a construction, he worked in construction, he worked in security, and then he worked at a gas station just to kind of make ends meet. Um, 
he tells me that for like a year and a half, he never even saw any of us because he was just working around the clock. And he said that um, one of the hardest things was to know that he was a general in a country fighting for uh, fighting a war for the United States and coming here and seeing the prejudice. And he said, I just keep my head down because I know I'm a general and I know that, you know, I was a leader, but they don't know that. So they just treat me based on what they see. Mm. And he goes, and they, they think that, you know, we're poor. He goes, because we are, because we lost everything. And they think that, you know, we don't know anything or whatever. He goes, but I know who we are. So that was a tough lesson for him to learn, but for all of us to learn. And then in school, um, it, it was it was hard just because you get teased. But I was also in the uh, advanced classes because I studied out of just insecurity, right? Just like, I, I can't speak the language. I, I think for years I didn't speak in elementary school because I was so insecure about it. Um, and, you know, people don't realize that I do still speak my other language. Um, and I see, I hear my own accent, but other people don't hear. So in school, it was tough because I couldn't say anything. And it just seemed like the kids were picking on me, but I, I didn't have the voice to say something because the teachers weren't on my side. Um, and, you know, the kids would steal things from me. I remember, a kid, you know, this one kid, Scott, he would always steal stuff from my desk. And every time I tell on him, the teacher would ask and I didn't know what to say. And he would always have the great story, the charm. And then, you know, she would just say, well, I think that, you know, he sounds a little bit more believable than you. Mm-hmm. So I got picked on that way. And then things that we, I wasn't used to was holidays. You know, like I remember the first time I got pinched on um, St. Patrick's Day and I was like, ow. And then I just pinched him back. His name was Rick Meadows. And he's <laughs> I go, why should you do that? And he explained that, you know, I wasn't wearing green. Um, so I would learn these traditions and holidays the hard way. The hard way. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, we didn't really have a lot of money for Christmases and presents. So we, we all, we got a lot of donations from the church. And so every Christmas they would bring us clothes, hand-me-downs and stuff like that. And that was kind of our present. Um, and I remember, you know, one year my dad said, we need to thank these people for being so kind to us. So we are going to go to their church. And so, yeah, we got all dressed up and we went to their church and we're standing there. And one of the things that hit hard was that people would move away from us and and people would look at us like, why are you here? You know, you guys are poor. And and I remember thinking, I thought these were the people who gave us all these clothes. Why are they not accepting us and not understanding that? Um, but we, we got that a lot, you know, being made fun of for speaking another language and that kind of stuff. Um, and then as I was growing older, you know, we would have, as my parents had a little bit more money, we would get like one outfit a year or two or three at the beginning of the year. And then come Christmas time, you know, we didn't really get presents because that wasn't a holiday that we, we celebrated. So one year I decided at the beginning of the school year, I would save all my clothes and shoes that my, you know, my parents bought for me. And I would just wait until Christmas time after Christmas to wear them and then tell the, the kids that those were my presents. 
And so I did that a few times and, you know, and I would always get in trouble because my mom would be like, we bought you these clothes and why aren't you wearing them? It was expensive. We, you know, and that kind of stuff. So I'd be getting that kind of feedback from home, but then waiting till Christmas just so I could wear it at school. Um, so I did things like that. And then at school, uh, I remember one time it was a sixth grade class in Mr. Tessier's class. We had a kid who stuttered a lot. His name was Mike and Mr. Tessie sent him to the front office and he stopped the class and he said, you know, I just sent Mike on an errand because I wanted to talk to you guys. Um, I'm noticing that you're making fun of him because of his stuttering and that's not acceptable. You know, and you know the whole speech that teachers mm -hmm. give. And I remember sitting there going, oh, wow, that was really awesome that he did that and thinking, I wonder what he's going to send what about, me. what about me? Yeah. What about me? Say something <laughs> like that for me. Protect me too. Exactly. And I kept thinking, I, you know, I can't wait for when he sends me on an errand so he can have a talk with kids who are bullying me. And, you know, and it never happened because I think that I didn't have the voice to say that it was happening and I didn't have the voice to describe that it was happening. And I think teachers couldn't see that. So that's how, I'll, that's, the majority of my memories in school is that bullying and things like that. And then when I got to high school, um, you know, I, I really advanced because I because I, I, I did a lot of studying by myself at home because I was so insecure. So I was in the advanced classes. But the irony is my parents wanted us to catch up and learn more and learn more. So we also went to um, we also went to summer school. So we were in summer school, but we all we were getting A's and things like that. And um, in high school, one year I did the unthinkable that brought so much shame to my family um, that my parents gave me an ultimatum to le either leave or, you know, I could stay. But I so when I was in sophomore year, I had a boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> And that was culturally completely, you know, unacceptable. And you, you, you know me, Brett, as an adult, but in my culture, it's very, it's very, um, women are, are kind of like your, your job is to kind of be submissive and to, to listen and to do what, you know, your husband tells you that kind of stuff, you know, me and, you know, that's not who I am. <laughs> So um, it was kind of, I, I seemed like the rebel to a lot of people growing up. I was kind of like the black sheep, right? Um, so anyways, I had a boyfriend. And of course, my ultimatum was you either break up with your boyfriend because you're bringing shame to our family or you can stay here uh, or, or, or you can leave, right? Leave, leave, leave the house. Yes, leave the house. As a sophomore. So that's, wow. So yeah, so at, the, at that time I was 17. And so I, I, of course, being in love, left the house. And, um, you know, growing up, everything that was important to me was education. And my parents had worked so hard to save money to save for college for us to go. So by doing so, I kind of, you know, said goodbye to that. And that was kind of tough because there was my future going, you know, going away. Um, so anyways, I lived with my best friend for a little while. And then um, I got a call from the school 
that said that I needed to come home because I was underage and um, I couldn't run away, you know, technically run away mm-hmm. is what it was, what it was called. So I went back, but the reason I tell this story is nobody knew that my friends didn't really teachers did teacher teachers probably had no idea. Teachers had no idea. And, and I bring it up because Mrs. Golder, who was my Latin teacher, she sat me down. It was the only teacher who had, who approached me um, in my history of K-12 education and said, Mary, you went from an A student to an F student in a matter of two weeks. She goes, I know that's not you. I don't know what's going on. I do know that I've had your two sisters before you. And I do know that you guys are going through a lot because of your family history. And she goes, so I'm going to give you a D as a passing grade. And she goes, just because I know who you are and I don't know what's going on, but I have a feeling it has something to do with mm. your home life. Um, and, you, and, I, and I thanked her and I didn't tell her because that's the, that's the other thing about our culture is you don't, you don't talk about it, you sure. know? Um, that's like, private, I'm yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if my parents are gonna ever hear this podcast. <laughs> But um, so, so anyways, you know, I got through that, but that was the only teacher who recognized that. And she said that I, I only know that because your sisters came here. I had your sisters the year you came here. So I knew that. Um, and, you know, so anyways, I went, I moved back and I went back and I, I stayed home and things were even rockier than before because it, it didn't solve the problem because I still had my boyfriend and I still you know, wasn't going to go to college. So um, at the end of my schooling of high school, uh, I, you know, I applied to the, the local college and I got in. But again, it was tough because all my friends either went to Europe and went backpacking, that kind of stuff, or, you know, they went to their choice college. Um, and then I just kind of had to work my way through. So the struggles throughout taught me that when I look at a student, there's a lot more going on than they tell you. And one of the things about our culture is you don't admit what's going on that's not going well. You don't admit admit your struggles because that's weakness. And and partly because it's also, I come from a military family, right? Um, Yeah. My dad being a general, my brother is currently a Lieutenant Colonel in the Marines. And my sister is a retired major in the Marines. And right now she works for um, Homeland Security. So this is my background. This is my military background. And most people don't know that, but I'm the only one in education in my family. Um, So it's a very um, stoic family that I come from. So I would never admit, you know, this is what's going on at home. But what I do see is when I look at kids, I recognize that look. I recognize that silence and I know that they're not, they're not interested in those posters that you put up that says, keep trying growth mindset, or those messages when you say, add yet to the end of your sentence, they're interested in watching your actions because are you giving me the same chances that you're talking about? You know, that kind of stuff. So um, that is the one thing that's taught me in education is knowing that there's a background story before you discipline someone, before you, you know, kind of deal out punishment or whatever, 
there's a lot more going on than you know. And in this environment, um, we, like you said in the beginning, we see into their lives a lot more than we would before. And there's a lot of, you know, I know that Brene Brown does a lot of research on shame. There's a lot of shame that's kind of being going around and, and none of us know how to deal with it. You know, like I felt shame because I, I, in a sense, I did dishonor my, my family and I was disobeying my family, even though I didn't agree with it, I was disobeying them. And that's huge, right? I was disrespecting them. Um, so I see that in, in the kids that we, we have in front of us. Um, and I understand what poverty is like, because uh, I remember not having things and going to school and trying to fit in. And I think that my entire life, all I wanted to do was not be different. And, and I, and, you know, and that's just something that we do as kids in middle yeah. school, high school. We just don't want to be different. We just don't want attention on us. And there was just no way to not be different because I looked different. I spoke differently. I had a different name. Everything about me screamed, I am different. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, as a teacher and as an educator, I'm so proud of that. I am really glad because I'm different. But as kids, you don't understand that because you just want to be, you just want to fit in. Um, I think the other the other lesson um, from that is because of our pandemic, because of the things that stress, you know, the, the extra social emotional stress that we put on students. Um, I, I was talking to some teachers and, and I said, you know, the pandemic, I know we're trying to find normal, but the way I see the pandemic is it's like entering a wartime. There is no normal in a wartime. And there is a lot of grace you have to give each other. Because let's think about when we went, when we entered Vietnam or during World War II, people stopped what they did to fix the struggle that was currently at hand. Sure. And, and so we have to look at it that as that and not try to fill as much normal as possible because what we have to do is try to rebuild normal when that time comes back and that normal is not going to look like before so we have to really forgive each other and give each other grace and i know we say that a lot but i wonder if we really really know what that means mm -hmm. um because it means you have to think outside of your box uh, outside of the box and accept anything that comes your way with empathy and with compassion um, and let go of some of the things that held us before, uh, because it is, this is like a wartime, you know, and, and, uh, and the whole quarantine thing and all that stuff, not a lot of people are, are, are used to those type of struggles. So it's hard on a lot of people. And I think for our students understanding, you know, what's worth your fight here, you know, are you going to fight over um, turning it in on time and, and this and that, or or are you going to think about what else is going on? Because, you know, I, I know a lot of my neighbors' stories, my friends' stories. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. You know, people yeah. passing away, people yeah. losing their jobs, people not knowing where they're going to live, that kind of stuff. That supersedes your assignment. Yep. And I'm sorry, it does. But we have to think about that kind of stuff. Um, so in light of that, in in and sharing my background story, I share, you know, when I tell this story, I have a presentation and it's more about we, we come 
we have school and we have our future that we think about, what do you do when those goals or when that future is taken away from you or when your plans change? And how do you, how do you come back from that? Um, just like, you know, when I was in Laos, I didn't think I was going to be plucked away to America because of a war and neither, neither did my dad. I mean, so what did we have to do? You ha- you know, we had to adjust a lot. Our normal was completely different. Um, so, so that's just something to think about. And, and that's what we have to be there for these kids, uh, because their normal is being challenged right now. Yeah. All of ours. Oh yeah. And Boy, I'm, I was jotting down notes as you were talking of things that like to try to unpack and what you finished with, with just comparing like wartime and, and you said there is no, I mean, you've lived through mm-hmm. a war, like you said, my, a mile away from your house, bombs going off and stuff like that. And, and there is no normal during war. And I think right now, again, to, to make the comparison, yes, there's no bombs going off literally, but there's a lot of emotional detonations and stuff like that taking place. And there, and the normal that we're used to is, is, is gone. I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm looking at, at what I jotted down. I mean, going back to the beginning, when you talked about, you mentioned bullying and, and, there's so many anti-bullying campaigns and where it's the great kindness challenge this week. And there's so much emphasis on that, but you took it to another level in that you were a second language learner. You were, you were an English learner mm-hmm. who couldn't advocate for yourself when it was happening. It's hard enough for people to advocate for yourself when like we have our counselors come in and we do the lessons on, not being a bystander, but standing up for people. But what if you literally can't? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have, well, I don't have the words. Literally, you don't have the words to, to, to say stop, to, to report it. And when you talked about the, the, and one of the things that is amazing, it's amazing, but I don't think it's uncommon. In all of your stories, you gave me names, Mary. Oh. You remembered the names of the student of whether it was Mike study stuttering, whether, I mean, with Mrs. Golder with a G. Yes. Mrs. Golder, your teacher, which I want to talk about her in just, in just a second. But I mean, these are memories that are burned into your minds. I mean, that, that decades later, you still remember their name and you probably remember what they were wearing and when they were doing a lot of this a lot of the stuff, but that just resonated with me as, as teachers, as administrators, as people who work with kids advocating for those kids who don't have a voice. I jotted down and you said it didn't have a voice and I, I jotted down, we have to look for it. So what do we do when, when the Mary is in our class who doesn't necessarily, now maybe it's, you mentioned like shame. And I think that that's culturally in a lot of cultures. That's a, I mean, I mean, and and just in general, a lot of people, they're not going to want to talk about things because it could, you mentioned, you don't want to bring shame on your family. I I jotted down cameras off right now. That's something that teachers a lot are saying like, he won't turn his camera on. 
She won't turn her camera on. And as frustrating as that can be and is, I think what you're talking about is let's ask ourselves the question, why? Right. Why isn't his camera on? Why is she not turning her camera on? What's going on? Is it a war zone in the background right now? I mean, we've all seen, I mean, we can joke, we've all seen the things we shouldn't see in the background where parents are walking around or, or dropping words they shouldn't be saying in the background. It's like, whoa, that little TMI or something like that. But is there a reason? I mean, I think sometimes it's easy to jump to the conclusion that, oh, he's just not turning it on because he's goofing off. He's playing around. And yes, that may be the case. But is it also because he or she doesn't want you to see what's behind him or behind her? Because there, there could be stuff that they're, maybe they're not overly proud of. Um, it's kind of like when we have fit company come over, what do we do? We clean up the house. We put all the junk in the room and we close the door. You don't want people seeing our dirty laundry. But literally right now, because of the virtual instruction, we are seeing everybody's dirty laundry quite literally on the floor sometimes. So, um, and your, your story about Mike and the stuttering and had the teacher who, who you gave the name of the teacher, I believe. I didn't think yes. I jotted that. Who was the teacher? Mr. Tessier. So Mr. Tessier sent Mike on an errand, which made you perk up like, oh, sweet. Somebody noticed. Somebody <laughs> noticed that what they're doing to Mike isn't cool. It's not okay to tease him. It, and you were waiting for, and it never came. And I, I, I'm jotting down in my notes, like, we, it's not just the stuttering. That's, that's obvious for, right. for most that you see, well, yes, the kid has a speech impediment, or he's having a difficult time, or he's learning English, and he's having a hard time. So it's, it's more visible. But what about the things that aren't visible? What about the stuff behind the curtain that could be going on? Um, and, you know, and culturally, too, um, I speak about, uh, you know, women in our culture. And that's, a, and that's another big thing that I think I really stand up for, uh, because you don't talk back and you don't, you don't try to stand up. And if it's talking back to, you know, an, a person of authority. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that we were told as children is you need to stay under the radar because your dad is a high profile person and there are communists who are still looking for him and they want him. Um, the story of our escape is really amazing. And someday I'll have to tell you, right? Because it's like, I've heard it from CIA agents, soldiers, my dad. Um, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, it, it's like, um, it's pretty amazing. But, but one of the things that I think we always grew up was fear that something was going to happen to us. Fear mm -hmm. of, you know, um, someone's looking someone for my dad. Someone's, someone's looking for my dad. So, so, so not being in the, in, in the radar, don't cause any fights, that kind of stuff. Just, just kind of take it. We're here. This is their country. We follow their rules. We do what they tell us. And if, if we have to undergo, you know, bullying or we have to just do this because we have to survive. Um, the, the other thing is 
uh, about school is I was that kid or we were that family where the parents didn't always call back when you wanted a conference, when you needed something signed, when you needed to turn in this paperwork. Um, but it wasn't because it wasn't important to us because education was so important yes. to my dad. We started the day we came here. It's just that my dad was never home and my mom didn't speak English. And as kids, we're going to forget to ask for our signature. We're going to not tell our moms, you know, to call home. We weren't that PTA family, you know, that was, we weren't going to give donations because we didn't have donate sure. money to donate. We were everything that um, you say when, oh, they're not calling back. Oh, they're, you know, whatever. But, but we care about education. But it didn't mean, and I think how often... And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because how often, and, and have I been guilty of this? Yes, I have. I think all of us, if we, I mean, have we jumped to the conclusion that you said it, they don't care. They're mm -hmm. not calling back. They don't care. Whereas I think the whole <clears throat> theme of our conversation today is kind of like, don't jump to the conclusion because the callback doesn't mean they don't care. It right. means maybe their phone was turned off. Right. Maybe they're battling COVID right now at home and everybody's sick. Maybe he's working three jobs like your dad. Mm -hmm. So he's never even home to hear the phone. Or, I mean, right. I, I think, I mean, there's some conviction there that, that, and I think everybody hope that we would take that to heart. Anyone listening is calling, not calling back or not responding does not necessarily mean they don't care. It right. means there's a lot of extra stuff that is going on behind the scenes. Um, I mean, you're saving Christmas, your Christmas presents <laughs> until after Christmas because you didn't get presents. And I, that was so poignant for me. I, I jotted that down because I'm thinking, how often do we in education we come back. I mean, how many of our students will come back in the new outfits after Christmas? Hey, what'd you get for Christmas? Assuming mm -hmm. that everybody got something for Christmas. And what a great reminder that not everybody's getting something for Christmas. And if you're wanting to stay under the radar, yeah. how did you, you, you stayed under the radar by, yeah. Say by uh, rationing your outfits early in the year and, and bringing them out later so that it looked like, so that you, you, it, it was perceived that, oh, here's my, here's my new outfit. Everyone's right. going to assume that it was a Christmas present type right. thing. Yeah. And you know, the other thing I forgot to tell you is um, one of the things, you know, when I say I, I wanted to do everything so that I didn't seem or appear different um, and, and I, and I found out as an adult, the cause of this, but one of the things I, I experienced, cause whatever emotions that you're going through, um, inside comes out physically. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I was handling this trauma and then eventually I, what I did was I had uh, an epileptic attack. So I had epilepsy because of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've talked to some experts in an as an adult and they said, yeah, it's, a lot of it in childhood is childhood trauma induced. Um, and some of the medical people that I've talked to as an adult who've seen me have said that you lived your life 
you know, in a fight or flight. Yeah. Like that your existence was all fight or flight. Right, and right. they say your adrenals are shot. Like they are so overworked right now because every situation you encountered was one of those choices. Mm-hmm. So when you encounter those choices, you don't have your frontal lobe right now. Your executive function is not operating at its best, right? So we, we do things and, and it's hard for us to study that kind of stuff. That's one of the things to remember. But um, my epilepsy, I had this huge attack in third grade. I remember it was in, um, in class. But here's the sad part. As I remember this, I remember it was in first grade, in second grade, where I would have tremors or I would, I would, I would be reading a book and I would shake and I would just drop my book. And then someone would ask me, you know, what happened? And I would hide it and say, oh, it's okay. I just slipped. Or sometimes I would just um, kind of like drool because you get numb and you start losing your mus- muscle control. And I would hide everything. And I didn't tell my parents because I knew that, you know, it would be expensive, med- you know, going to the doctors and all that stuff. And I also didn't want to bring attention to myself because we had, we're, we're trying to survive here. Don't worry about my tremors and all this stuff. And, um, and then it, it blew up in third grade and I had this huge epileptic attack. I was out of school for two weeks. My parents were so worried. I was in the hospital and um, I was paralyzed. Like half of my body was paralyzed and they didn't know if I would ever get that sensation back. And my dad had to leave work for three days. And that just kind of like put our family in major distress, right? All the medical bills and having not work and all that stuff. Coming back and pretending that everything was normal and and like, okay, I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm more shame, more, it was more shame and embarrassment that it happened than like, oh my gosh, what caused that? So Um, So after that, you know, I didn't really have the attacks, but I did, you know, keep taking medicine and all. Um, But it taught, it taught us that even little things you have to be aware of and try to not hide. And I was constantly under the radar. And I think I purposely didn't want to have a voice because I didn't want attention on me. Um, And it was hard because kids would ask and stuff, but you know, like the doctors, they told us, I remember being nine years old and hearing the doctor say, you're never going to drive. You're never going to swim. You're never going to do sports Um, and everything you do. You're going to have to be chaperoned because it was so bad that we just don't know if you're going to ever get full, you know, uh, whatever return of your physical um, abilities. So like everything I see and I do now, I'm very thankful for because that was my fate at that time. But knowing that also it was induced by trauma has helped a lot. But that's something I think to keep in mind too, is if, if we don't, if kids don't take care of whatever it is that they're going through, how is it going to come out eventually? And, and if, if, you know, if they don't do that practice page where they weren't paying attention on how to divide or do fractions, is it because they're worried about, something else, you know, because, because brain research tells us that when you're in that fight or flight, your frontal lobe is not functioning, you have to address that emotional piece first. Um, And I know Sean McCarthy talks a lot about that with his mindfulness and stuff. Um, Because sometimes I, um, 
I react, I know, lo and behold, I react and he'll just remind me, okay, your frontal lobe's not working right now, Mary. (laughs) Episode 88, everybody. Sean Sean and I talked about mindfulness. So if you want to go back after here, listen to that one. Yeah. Good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just something to think about, like, um, when a kid, let's say, come, they, they come in from, the, from recess, and something happened out there, and we expect them to sit and listen to this lesson, and, we, you know, hey, that was over, that's five, ten minutes ago, you need to concentrate on this. Well, they're, they're not going to be able to just switch like that for us, because what affected them was so emotional, um, that we have to realize there's a de-escalation period before they can start using their brain. Wow. Wow. Just, I mean, you're blowing my mind here, Mary. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's so many, I mean, I, I'm, I'm praying that the people who are listening to this right now, like me, are just thinking like, wow, there's so much that we don't see. I mean, I mean you were hiding what manifested itself as epilepsy because you didn't want to worry your parents. You knew that it would be expensive to have to take you to the doctor. Um, and we're going to have students in our class who won't necessarily speak up. Well, I asked him what was going on and he didn't say anything. Well, doesn't mean there isn't something going on. And I, I think I would just, I put this in bold letters and underlined in my notes is, Mrs. Golder. Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm like, how do we wrap this up? I, I think it's be Mrs. Golder because you're Mrs. Golder. That's the teacher for those of you. That's the one that Mary said, the only teacher that came to you and said, what's going on? You were an A student two weeks ago and now you're not. I mean, like, and I'm going to give you a D showed grace, extended grace, I'm gonna, because I know what you're capable of. And this isn't a grading discussion, but the point is she recognized this isn't Mary. There's something else going on. And she came to you and she asked, she was, she was aware. She had her, yes. those spidey senses tingling. <laughs> I mean, like, and I think it's like, we've got to be Mrs. Golder. We've got to have that radar, like you wanted to be under the radar, but I think as teachers and administrators, anyone who works with kids, we actually have to have the radar turned up to pick up because you may try to stay under the radar, but that doesn't mean that you don't need extra support. It doesn't mean um, that, that, that we shouldn't reach out. Well, he said he's fine. So, okay, you, you, I'm sure you said you were fine countless yeah. times and you weren't <laughs> fine. You, yes. you, you needed help. So gosh, yeah, this is, and I just think, so the, the moral of the story, I mean, or at least what I'm getting out of this is, is the next time we're in a, whether it's a, a an in-person classroom, if you're fortunate enough right now to be in, in-person instruction, or if you're in a virtual classroom and you see the camera off, or you see the kiddo not attending, or as Mary said, you see the assignment not get turned in. Behavior is a form of communication. And Mm -hmm. I think the reminder that I'm taking from this is, let's ask ourselves, why? Why is he not turning it in? Why is her camera off? And is there something that I can do to support? 
Can I ask, do you need anything? Can I help you? Because again, right now, we're in, you, you use the example wartime and we're in, we are in the middle of a pandemic and as much as we would like things to be normal, they're not. And um, SEL has got to come first because I love how you said the frontal lobe, it ain't working. If they, if something happened at recess and they came in, you can tell them until you're blue in the face, that's over, it, but it's not. No. <laughs> it's not. So gosh, Mary, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, I'm again. I, I know people are going to get something out of this, um, and I appreciate your your vulnerability and and for for sharing um, those personal things that that I think I think that's you have a heart for that because um, you sharing your story is going to help somebody else be better in supporting kids. So, um, well, thank you, friend. You got it. So. Uh, this is the part where do you, do you have, our, I mean, our, on Twitter, do you want to share your Twitter handle and you want to connect if, if somebody wants to connect with you? What's your Twitter handle? So my twi- Twitter handle is math dojo. Awesome. <laughs> so, so the only thing I tweet is uh, math stuff just to forewarn you. But if you do want to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me that way. I do have um, also a Facebook, Mary Vongsavon. Um, and then my work email. So you can get in touch with me any of those ways. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, Mary, I appreciate you. I'm, I appreciate our friendship and I'm glad that we were able to chat. Um, and, uh, I look forward to when we can actually be in the same room and have a meeting together in person, uh, soon, soon, hopefully. So, so thank you. You got it. You got it. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening again. I hope you got something out of this. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe. Uh, You can subscribe in uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can listen directly on my website on the podcast page at brentcoley.com. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Be safe. And until next time, have a good one.